Hey everyone, this is Randy from Metal On Loud magazine with a slightly different episode of the Take One podcast for you, uh, our first ever Lost and Found episode. Back in 2018, uh, on Valentine's Day, we had a, an amazing talk with uh, Blackie Lawless of Wasp. Sadly, after a fatal computer crash uh, later that year, uh, this interview along with several others got lost. But now over three years later, uh, the metal gods smiled upon us <laughs> and we discovered uh, a true digital treasure trove, um, a long forgotten backup containing this interview and several others. Um, this Wasp interview uh, with Blackie was about the Crimson Idol uh, remaster uh, back then. And it, uh, bear in mind, it was a phone interview. Um, it was meant to be transcribed to print uh, and the audio isn't perfect. Still, the conversation is too good not to share, uh, even after all these years. So um, enjoy the sitting gem and metal on loud. <laughs> Hey, Randy. Hey there. Hi, it's Blackie. Nice to talk to you, Blackie. Hi, how are you? Great. Uh, things are awesome here. Good. How are things in your world, man? Um, good. Things are good. <laughs> You're mm -hmm. uh, busy with uh, uh, the the, the re-release of the, the, the Crimson Eindel uh, album? Well, I'm not so busy with it now. I'm just doing a few interviews, so that, that, that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. You have been busy with it. Let's put it that way. Well, I had been very busy. Yeah, for like two years worth. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to uh, revisit that uh, that album and to uh, uh, to look at all the the, the 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 footage that came out of it. Strange. It's like some a friend of yours you haven't seen for a long, long time, and um, you know you get down and you you get to talk to them again and. You know, just somebody who was a good friend of yours that you haven't seen for a long time. Very, very similar, you know. And um, the difference between this is, like, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, it's, it's kind of like your own Frankenstein. You know, you're the one that builds it, you know, so you know the complexities of it. But the thing that was probably more shocking than anything was, when we started, the first thing I did is I took the original two-inch tapes and I listened to them in the studio, and I had not done that since we had originally recorded them. So I hadn't heard those things for over 20 years. And it's, it was shocking to me to listen to what was really there. And the, one of the things that really was the most shocking was how much was on the two-inch tapes that didn't make it into the final mixes. And that was, that was a little disturbing because, you, you know, in, in recording terms, we refer to it as ear candy, you know, little things that, you know, that were on the tape that sometimes get lost in the mix, and that's what happened. And it became very apparent to me that as good as that final mix was on the original record, the mixes were not as good as they could have been. 
as good as that record is, it could have been better. And so that was one thing that we realized going into this new one, that we thought we could do some things to it that didn't happen the first time. So there were a lot of little surprises there. Well, like I said, we call it ear candy. You know, it's just a lot of, like, you know, different sound effects, maybe guitar parts or vocal parts that are added into the main portion of the song that sometimes just have to get sacrificed for when it comes to doing the mixing. Because the problem is, when you, especially with rock records, there's an old expression, when you make that record, you have to determine ahead of time what kind of record it is you want to make. Do you want to make a drum vocal record, you know, where it's the drums and the vocals that you hear primarily, or do you want a guitar record? Because you can't get everything. The technology, even today, doesn't exist to get all those things at a really loud volume where they're equal. You can get them close, but if you go back and you listen to records primarily, that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear either a drum vocal record or you're going to hear a guitar record. It's really not much in between. We try, like I said, to get an even balance, but it's, it's almost impossible because the technology doesn't exist. It's like I tell people it's like trying to get five, five kilos of potatoes into a two-kilo bag. You know, yeah. it's, just, it's hard to do. It's almost uh, need to uh, record it as a DVD and have multiple audio tracks. <laughs> well, even with that, you'd still be limited because, like I said, think about it. You're trying to get a whole rock band in a speaker that's, you know, you can carry under your arm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's impossible. That's very, very hard to do. Absolutely. It is. Would you say that uh, recording process has changed a lot over the years uh, since you recorded uh, uh, the Crimson Idol uh, versus Golgotha? Probably for most people, but not for me, because, you know, having my own place, I'm able to do things the way that I want. And we still record on two-inch tape. Now, we, we have Pro Tools, we have, we have digital sources that we can transfer things to, but that's not the way I work, I, I still approach it as if we were working 20, 25 years ago. You know, I, one thing I learned is there's a sound quality that comes along with two-inch tape. There's a compression and there's a warmth to it that you just, just do not get with digital. And if you want to make an expensive-sounding record, there's only one way to do it. You have to spend the time and the money to do it, you know, to get that quality out of it. And digital is getting better. There's no doubt about it. But I still prefer to work the old way. Yeah, there's something about uh, the old way. There's some warmth with, I think. Yeah, it's sweeter and it's warmer and it doesn't fatigue you to listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> How do you feel uh, uh, the, the album, the, the Crimson Idol, has aged? Uh, how do you feel it holds up to this time? If you would have asked me that question a year ago, I would have told you that I thought that it... Let me back up. I, I think the original recording still stands up. The biggest difference I noticed was the guy that mixes our records lives in Las Vegas. And I went on... His name is Logan Mater. And Logan is... He's very, very good at what he does. 
And I went out there with him, and I, I mixed the record. And when it was finished, I took the record, and I just drove up and down the Las Vegas Strip for like two hours one night, and I listened to it. And the thing that hit me about the new mix compared to the old mix, it sounded very similar, but it was like the difference between listening to a 2D mix and a 3D mix. There was a depth on this that because the sound quality has changed and there's things that you can do now that you couldn't do then. So it has helped in that sense, especially as far as mixing goes. Um, so it just it created a depth that the first album did not have. Now, I'm not going to say that the first album still does not have its charm because it does. It's its own animal. You know, it's its own thing. But this one, when we were mixing the record, he did like the first three songs and I wasn't really happy with it. And then I said, you know, try something a little different. And he tied, he, he did the title track, The Idol. And when he sent it to me, it, it, he had taken the orchestration and he had moved it a little forward where it was a little louder. And my first impression was it sounded like a movie soundtrack. And I called him back and I said, this is it. You found it. Let's make the whole record sound like this. I mean, that's what we're doing after all. We're, we're making a soundtrack to this, this film. You know, let's make it sound like it's supposed to. And that's what we did. And, and I'd love to sit here and tell you that the way it sounds right now is by design. We intended to be, but it was more of a mistake than anything. <laughs> The best mistakes. Uh, they always are. Uh, you know, Ringo used to say, nothing like a good mistake. Absolutely. Yeah. You uh, talk about uh, the film. Uh, back in the day, you shot hundreds of hours of film uh, that were uh, originally uh, intended to accompany this, uh, this album back in the day. Uh, why did it never show until now? Because of the expense of putting it together. Because when we originally shot it, we thought we would release it sometime after the record was recorded. But, you know, I went out and I toured the record for a year. And when I came home, I knew that it was just raw footage. And the amount of time and work that it was going to take to do it, I just, I was so burnt out. I mean, it took me three years to make the record, and then I toured it for a year. So, like I said, four years of that, I, I just didn't want to know about it. And I had to get away from it for a while. So I thought, okay, at some point down the road, I'll put it together. And so, you know, fans would ask me every once in a while, when's that, when's that thing going to be finished? I go, oh, a couple years, maybe, you know. And it's like, and I just kept saying that, you know, the, we use the expression, keep kicking the can down the road, you know. And that's what I was doing, you know. And so finally, it got to be like 20 years. And I thought, you know what? 25th anniversary is coming up. That's a really important milestone. And if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And so it really it ended up being a, a mountain of work to put it together. And even more than I thought it was going to be when I said, when I told people, oh, you had two years, I had no idea what it was going to take. Do you still uh, recognize uh, yourself uh, if you uh, look at uh, that old footage is that still somebody you identify with yes because i'd say what maybe even more so now uh, interesting question because when i wrote that character people say well is that you and is it autobiographical and i say no not really there's only 
like I would look at different guys in the in the music industry, and I took a little out of one guy's personality and a little from another and a little from another. There's maybe ten percent of me in the story. There's really not that much, but the thing that I was trying to impress upon people is fans kept asking me, you know, kids wanting to get in the business, and they'd say, "Hey, man, give me some advice." How do I get from where I'm at to where you're at? And I would tell them, I go, you have to really want this. And I, I'd look at the look on their faces. I could tell it was going through one ear and out the other because they're standing there shaking their head going, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but they had no idea what I was talking about. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write them a story and I'm going to tell them and show them the worst possible side of this business. And then after they've heard it, if they want to go for it, then Hey, at least you've been warned, you know? So that was really the intent. And as I was writing the story, I realized that it, you know, the expression we use here in LA in the movie industry, or I'm not in the movie industry, but being in this town, I hear guys talk about it all the time. They refer to it as fleshing out a character, you know, where you, you bring this guy to life. You give him a background. You give him a story. You give him a family. You, you got to make him real. You know, so when I was fleshing out these characters, you know, it became very apparent to me that there had to be an underlining premise. Or, you know, what, what was the, the real story behind the guy's drive? And that became a very simple story of a boy looking for love. Okay that thing that's missing from his life then becomes the catalyst of what drives him later in life. And now I thought, again, this is back to, I wouldn't call this one a mistake because I was, I was aware when I was writing the story that it was, it was a story coming from two directions at the same time, the lack of love and someone highly driven. But I thought the focus from the audience's perspective would be on the driven part. And in reality, over the years, what I discovered that people identified with more than anything was the simplicity of the boy looking for love. You know, I knew it was there, but I didn't think that that would be the thing that people primarily focused on. And what I discovered later was because of the simplicity of the story, it was more of a universal thing that most people could identify with. So that really became... Like I said, the simplicity, I think, is what attracted people more than this complex idea that I wrote, even though the complexity of it was an old story. I mean, it was nothing new. I didn't, I didn't invent it. You know, it's, I told people then that this is a very old story. You know, it's, it's a Greek tragedy, and it's happened before, and unfortunately, it's going to continue to happen. We see today that it continues on because you know, I, I use a line in this that I did not use in the original. It's right after the idol, and, and it's a part of a narration that I do right after the song. It says, I had finally made it to the top of the mountain, and when I got there, I looked around. There was nothing there. And when I came up with that, I thought, okay, that is the arc for the character. That is the true arc where this guy the originally I used I created the arc with the music, but this time I was able to put it put a face on that arc, you know where you see this is what happens to a person when they achieve so much success in life that when they get to the top of that mountain they realize that then 
there is nothing more that life could offer them. And I'm not saying no more that life can offer them, because there's a difference. When you say that it can offer you, that means that there is possibly something there. When I say there's nothing more that could be offered, that means there is nothing more to be had. Because you've experienced everything, you've achieved everything, and it's still not filling up that void in your life. In other words, in his particular case, it is not undoing that thing that he did not get as a child. And that, like I said, that's an age-old story because we see it happening even today because when, people, when people achieve this phenomenal, superhuman amount of success, a lot of times, the only way out for them is suicide. And what we do see that some people c- commit suicide in a traditional sense that we know of, but more often than not, it, it is a slow suicide where it's either through drugs or something else. Um, you know, I was watching a thing the other night about Karen Carpenter, you know, and it's the same story. You know, it's it's suicide, but it's a slow suicide. So whether it's drink, drugs, whatever it may be, it's all because they get there, and the thing that they thought was then was going to be the thing that would give them that completeness in life turns out to be even more hollow because it's worse to discover that there is no hope than at least being in a place where maybe you're not as successful where you think, well, at least there's something left to strive for. But when you get to a point where there is nothing left, nothing that life could offer you, that is a terrifying place to think of. It absolutely is, yeah. It's a really powerful storytelling, I think. Uh, it's I mean, I look at, at, at Ernest Hemingway and people like that, and I wondered as a kid, what would cause them to do that? Yeah, You know, but as I got older, and especially, you know, having success of my own and seeing what it does to friends of mine, you know, by the grace of God, I got delivered from that, you know, but a lot of people don't, you know, and the end result isn't pretty sometimes. If you look at uh, the, the best stories, uh, uh, a lot of the, the, the storytelling takes place in an inner dialogue and that's also the the issue i think behind a lot of suicides we don't get to see what the motivations are for people to do that precisely yeah it's all internal Mm -hmm. um you recently a few years ago uh came out as a a born again christian (laughs) how would you uh say that uh changes the way Look at music. Uh, if you compare that to the old you, that's yeah, yeah, described as a bad boy, as sex, drugs, and rock and roll. How do you compare those two parts of yourself? I had this conversation with Alice Cooper a couple of years ago because we were both talking about our early stuff. And we both realized that when we looked at our early work, that if you look at the lyrical content, 
of the stuff we were doing. And I'm not talking about songs like Animal or things like that. You know, I, I'm talking about things that were deeper. There was more question, uh, questions being asked than you might think. And so to answer your question in, in a sentence or two, honestly, I think my answer would, I would say I don't think it has changed. I think that that stuff was always there. You know, it's just I'm maybe making people aware of it more now, making myself more aware. And because, you know, if you go back to the idea of what we were talking about just a moment ago about what happens to someone when they've had extreme success, does that fulfill you? And quite honestly, I can't speak for everyone, but I don't think it does. Again, I, I cannot speak for everyone. But being part of, well, the band that I'm in, but also friends that I have that I, I know well, uh, close associates that have been extremely successful, the vast majority of the people that I know, success has not given them what they thought it would. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's it's hollow, but it's a lot of times it's not what you think it is. I mean, you still have the same issues that you did before. Sometimes they're even exaggerated. Sometimes they become become even worse. So it's not a cure-all for everything. I mean, there is a the illusion of success is I would say that it is just that because there's and I'm look I'm searching for words right now to 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 try to express there is a there's a gap between success and the real world. Now I'm not saying that that success is not real, but what happens that level of success is not normal. And what it does to people, it makes them not normal. And it can really do a number on you. I mean, it can really change your head. I mean, it changed me where I, I was just going to say it changed me in a good way. But let me clarify that. <clears throat> what I mean by that is after we, for the, like the first four years, did a record and a tour and a record and a tour and a record and a tour. And at the end of that cycle, I didn't know who I was. I really didn't. And, you know, I've told a funny story that it happened to me twice, actually. But the first time I remember specifically, I went into a bank and I was, I needed some money. So I was going to write a check. And so I walked up to the window and I pulled out my checkbook. I wrote the amount. I wrote the day. Uh, I signed it. But when I got to the year on the check, I stood there. I froze. <laughs> and I froze for about 30 seconds. Now, that's a long time when the guy's standing in front of you, you know, waiting for you to finish. And it, the guy realized 
after about 30 seconds, I didn't know what year it was. <laughs> yeah. And he says to me, it's da 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 And I said, oh, thank you. And I wrote, he, it, it took him 30 seconds to realize I didn't know where I was. That's now, that's a funny story, but it's not so funny when you stop and you think about what that does to you, because that is only a small snapshot of everything else that goes along with it. And so when I say it was good for me, what I mean is it, it really brought me back to the beginning because there was a bunch of things that happened right around that time. And I just, I really, I said, this is it. I don't want to keep going like this. And it was really the beginning of what would later become the headless children. And I said, you know, this is not what I want. You know, I did this whole fame thing. I'm not interested in this. I want to make the best music we can make. And that's really where I came full cycle as a writer and a musician coming back to the things that got me into it in the first place. I mean, I'm, my first memory of anything in life is I was two years old listening to Chuck Berry's Sweet Little Sixteen. That's the first thing I can remember of anything. And then I don't remember anything for like two years after that. But I remember hearing that song the first time. You know, so I'm just saying, I, just, I was fortunate enough to be able to find myself in the midst of that, that fog. And that's what success can be a lot of times. It can be a fog. You think it's crystal clear, but it's not. And you see what it does to people a lot of times. For some reason, it always reminds me of uh, The Wizard of Oz. If you uh, uh, make it to uh, the big throne at the end where the, the, the guy <laughs> with the big voice is, he's just uh, behind the curtain. <laughs> you know what? That is an excellent analogy. I've never heard anybody use that before. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> <laughs> You're free to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where does the road go from here? Uh, your last yeah, that yellow brick road. <laughs> the the yellow brick road. Well, you, we just keep keeping on, you know, because for me, I, I'm at a point in my, my life and my career where I write when I'm motivated. And, you know, and fortunately for me, I am pretty average when it comes to the things I like and don't like. Because I, I like, you know, the same movies and the same music, the same food as everybody else. I, I don't have exotic tastes. You know, I'm pretty normal. And so I figure if I am motivated to write about something, you know, if I'm passionate enough about something I see or something I don't like or, or just whatever it is that might motivate me, there's a pretty good chance that probably a lot of other people are going to identify with that. You know, so... You know, I'm lucky in that sense that I just feel like, I guess for lack of a better term, you know, I'm a reporter. You know, what you and I do are the same things. You know, we're just, I'm just a musical reporter. We both write down what we see and hear. I'm just, my medium is a little bit different, you know, or my instrument's a little bit different. But we're both doing the same thing. We're reporters, you know, so... I'm just I'm just trying to write down what I'm seeing. You know? Describing the world as we see it. Yeah. yeah, you know, I don't think it's any more complicated than that. Where it can get complicated, and I don't even know if complicated is not the right word. 
what you try to do is you try to, to say it in a way that will make a lasting impression. Because the thing I think, and this is just me personally, but I think that one of the best compliments, maybe even the best compliment I can get as a writer, is when someone comes up to me and says, you know what, you wrote down what I've been feeling, I just didn't know how to put it into words. So that, for me, that's like the supreme compliment. It truly is, yeah. I can you know, you that. say it in a way that, you know, in some poetic way or that grabs people's attention, mm-hmm. you know, that, that really cuts, cuts, their, cuts through to them, cuts them deep, you know. If you're able to do that, uh, show them that uh, what they're feeling is real and that they're not alone in it. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know why? That when you say that becomes real, you are absolutely right because I think that's the secret to having a long career because to do that, you have to be willing to expose yourself to an audience and expose yourself emotionally in ways that maybe a lot of artists don't want to do because they don't want people to know that intimate side of them. And that's the only way you can ever become intimate with an audience. You got you to break your head open and allow them to, to come in and walk around inside your head and, you know, fully at, at their own will with no restriction to see what's in there, the good and the bad. And I think, you know, and I'm not talking about somebody that makes a few records or does it for five or ten years. I'm talking about somebody that does it for 15, 20 years or longer. You know, if you're going to have a real career, I think that is the secret to carrying that audience with you over a long period of time because they then start to feel that they know who you are and that you're all in the same boat together taking the same ride. Yeah. It's a powerful connection. It but is. It's scary at the same time. <laughs> it is. It is. But, you know, like I said, we're just, we're just reporting what we see on, on a day-to-day basis. Well, that's uh, a whole lot of stuff to uh, to think about. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That leaves me with one last question, and uh, mm. that's uh, always: Do you have any last words for our readers? Sorry. <laughs> well, I think in generally with what we do, you know, I'm just all art is designed to make people think, you know, whether it's music or movies or paintings or sculptor, you know, or sculpturing, you know, it's, it's any of that, it's all designed to make you think. And that's what we're trying to do. And I hope that I'm connecting with the audience like that, because if you don't do that in the recording world, then you're just some guy who makes records. And I'm not saying, well, it's fast food for the years, you know, cramming a Big Mac in your (laughs) side of your head, you know, and you know what? I'm not even saying that there's not a place for that because in some cases there is, but if you're going to attempt to do art, it's designed to make people think. And that's what I'm hoping you know, that that relationship can continue on with everybody. That's my goal. Yeah, that's a great goal. Yeah. 
give us some stuff that we can carry with us. <laughs> well, like I said, it's just, it's that human connection, you know, like I said, the whole thing with the idol, you know, I'm writing a complex story and at the end of the day, it ends up being the simplicity that the people grabbed onto. Great words, man. Well, Randy, I appreciate you taking the time, sir. Same to you and uh, enjoy your day. <laughs> All right. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.